Alrighty, and we are rolling. This is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and I am your humble host, Alex Painter. Thank you so much for electing to join me here today. I'm telling you, today's episode is going to be a romp. It's going to be a great time. Got a really cool subject of uh, Irish of the yesteryear, as well as we're going to talk about the 2019 season here towards the end of it. But thank you so much. As I mentioned in previous episodes, at any given time, There are 500,000 podcasts that you can elect to join and listen in on. And so I really am appreciative that you've selected this one. And I'm going to talk in a few minutes about our community here uh, that we've kind of, we're building here at Onward to Victory and kind of how appreciative I am of that. But before I do that, I'd like to thank Joseph Rakish, whose song, whose song, Knut Rockney, serves very well as our theme song. It's the one that you hear in the lead into the show. So you can find it on iTunes, you can find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you get music, you can find it. So give it a few spins, add it to your pregame playlist. I know I sure do. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, it's that purple icon. Click it. Please subscribe. You'll be notified directly to your phone when new episodes are released. Then you can listen to them at your leisure. Um, And uh, don't hesitate to throw out a rating if you feel so compelled or leave a comment or a review, all of which are greatly, greatly appreciated. And if you're not an iPhone person, just download the Podbean app and you can find Onward to Victory there as well. So a podcast is actually hosted through Podbean. Either way, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or the Podbean app. So if you want to visit headquarters, that's facebook.com slash Onward to Victory podcast. That's where most of the news surrounding the show, whether it's information, insight, analysis, videos, as well as podcast episode you know, announcements, and, and they're formally released through the Facebook page. So if you're listening to this right now and you're not on the Facebook page, ah, I would really, really appreciate if you jumped over to facebook.com slash Onward to Victory podcast and gave a like and a follow. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And please like, comment, and share these episodes. I really appreciate those of you who have done it in the past, and I promise you there's going to be a killer giveaway for those who do for a future episode. It's going to be the best giveaway yet. Now, I've got a couple more addresses to throw out, and just to remind you, I'll go over all these at the very end of the episode too, but if you'd like to become one of our Consensus All-Americans, the show's Consensus All-Americans, is if you're an individual who would like to donate monetarily to the show to kind of keep the proverbial lights on, you can do so at paypal.me slash onward to victory. I just launched a, pa- a Patreon account, so you can also go to patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. A little bit of variance between those two addresses, I know. But either way, between both of those, you can make one-time donations. But also on Patreon, if you want to be like giving a monthly, you know, uh, donation, like I want to give $3 a month or $4 or whatever have you, you can give any denomination. You can do that on Patreon. So anyone who becomes a Consensus All-American, and so our previous Consensus All-American, Will from New Orleans, is in the running for this too. If you become a Consensus All-American, donate monetarily to the show, then you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win 
an Onward to Victory postcard autographed, hand-signed by Hunter Smith, who was a punter for the Irish in the 90s. So he punted under Lou Holtz, and then he ultimately made it to the NFL and punted for, I think, about 10 seasons in the NFL and was on the Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl winning team. So I believe I've got a few of them. So you know, your chances of winning are actually really good. So if you'd like to donate monetarily to the show, join the Consensus All-American ranks. I will give you a shout out on the show and as well as you'll be in the running to win some cool stuff. And even if you don't win, I'll send you a postcard, although it's not signed, as well as a magnet. So you won't go empty-handed. The last few episodes have been sponsored by a gentleman named by the name of Will from New Orleans. He was our, well, is our George Gipp. In other words, he's our first Consensus All-American. So we actually have our second Consensus All-American to announce. He is our Hunk Anderson, so to speak. And if you've listened to A Charming Rogue, you know that George Gipp, uh, who was Notre Dame's first All-American, and Hunk Anderson, who was Notre Dame's second All-American, were actually very good friends. So I just want to give a big shout out to Adam P. of Fort Wayne, Indiana, for joining the the ranks as a consensus All-American. Uh, he donated to the show, said, keep up the good work, and it is so greatly appreciated. So he will actually be kind of announced as a sponsor for the show for the next couple episodes, at least. And I think, given where you're from, Fort Wayne, Indiana, you're really going to enjoy this current episode. So again, thank you, Adam. It's so greatly, greatly appreciated. And so back to what I was kind of talking about a few minutes ago, the Onward to Victory community. Um, again, just the goals for it is to create a, a positive space, you know, where we can just truly appreciate, you know, Notre Dame and all the great things that have happened, all the great things they that, that we have stood for over the years. And I know sometimes Saturdays can be very frustrating, but I, I really strive to create kind of a, a pocket of optimism and and hopefully even kindness. And uh, because ultimately, I, the reason why we're all here is because we're passionate and we want to learn more about Notre Dame. And we want to talk about Notre Dame and, and among other things, of course. I, I talk about a lot of other things other than Notre Dame, but I just happen to really like Notre Dame as well. But what I really appreciate is that the listening audience is truly becoming a nationwide audience. And we actually do have someone who either is from Europe or listened to the show in Europe. So if you're that person, please send me an email. Uh, please send the show a message. I'll make sure I get uh, get your name out on the airwaves next episode. But but really, so it's it's become clear that, you know, the show is gaining new listeners every day. And, and that's really amazing. And people are coming from all parts of the country. But I am from Fort Wayne, Indiana, originally myself, and we're going to bring episode nine here home. So episode nine could be the Tony Rice episode, who was the quarterback on the 1988 team. Tony Rice, of course, wore number nine. Could be the Kyle Rudolph episode, another famous wearer of number nine. He was a tight end, a very good tight end, still in the National Football League, in fact. It could be the hero of the last episode, Jeff Burris, who scored a couple touchdowns in the game of the century versus Florida State. Again, a hero of last episode. He also wore number nine. But this is going to be known as the Jalen Smith episode. Another individual who wore number nine for the Irish, and very intentionally. And that's because if you were otherwise unaware, Jalen Smith is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And again, my hometown, as well as our newest consensus All-American, Adam. But I, I absolutely adore Jalen Smith. I, I loved, loved watching him. 
I would only watch him for years. I well, there were some great players on that defense. Uh, really, I would just follow him, and and if he just happened to wasn't on the field at the time, I just follow Joe Schmidt around, but uh, the other linebacker at the time. But he was just phenomenal to watch play, and for as good of a football player he is, he's an even better human being, which. That is really a testament to him. But he is from Fort Wayne. He went to Bishop Lewis High School, and I actually had a couple siblings play high school football against him. I'm a little bit older, so I never did. But Fort Wayne and Notre Dame football have had something of a symbiotic relationship here in the 21st century, as Jalen's uh, a very famous Irish player who's from Notre Dame. But there's also Tyler Eifert, who went to Bishop Dwanger High School, uh, who was a tight end. Um, and was actually had won the Mackey Award, I believe, for best tight end in the country, and he plays for the Cincinnati Bengals now. Drew Tranquil went to Fort Wayne Carroll High School, and so he was drafted by the Chargers. And who doesn't? Who didn't love watching that guy play? I mean, geez, he was uh, he was about as charismatic as it got, and you know. And I was really fearing we'd miss his leadership out there uh, on defense, which it seems like we've we've really replaced him as well as we could. But he, he definitely miss watching him in a Golden Dome. Uh, but other than that, we've there's also been John Goodman and Tony Springman, both of uh, Bishop Dwanger High School, also who, um, while they didn't, uh, you know, they weren't as big in names, they also came in and contributed fairly solidly. But we're gonna go actually a little bit further back. Uh, those are those are all guys who played for Notre Dame who were from Fort Wayne in you know the 21st century. But we're gonna go back a little bit. But before we begin this episode's main feature, how about a Notre Dame statistic that I bet few of you know. And by the way, if you do, send the show a message. If you knew this, I will send you a, a Onward to Victory postcard in the mail. But this is one that may even get you a few admirers at Trivia Night at your local watering hole. So did you know that since 1918, only five Irish players have led the team in rushing three seasons? Now, that's true. So George Gipp was the first to accomplish this feat, leading the team in 1918, 1919, and 1920. So Christy Flanagan, who replaced the four horsemen in the backfield, led the program from 1925 to 1927 in rushing. And now to kind of flip to a more contemporary page, Alan Pinkett led from 90, or excuse me, 1983 to 1986. Former Irish running backs coach and heck of a running back himself, Audrey Denson led the team from 96 to 98. And finally, Darius Walker led the team in rushing from 2005 to 2007. So the company is small and pretty elite with Gip, Flanagan, Pinkett, Denson, and Walker comprising the group that has led the team in rushing for three seasons. Now, with such an exclusive group who are able to pull off this feat, surely no one has led the team in rushing for four years, right? Well, that would actually be wrong. Emil Sitko led the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in rushing yards in 1946, 1947, 1948, and 1949. And he is still the only player in Notre Dame history to accomplish this feat. So if you knew that, let me know, because like I said, I owe you something, because I did not know that, <laughs> and that is really jarring, uh, I thought. So, But it did take a little bit of help, uh, so not to trivialize the largest event of the 20th century, but World War II really helped enable Sitco to achieve this. As you will find out, he also accumulated nicknames nearly as quickly as he did rushing yards during his time in South Bend. 
And just as a side note, a lot of the subjects that I've chosen to do for previous episodes, there has been an ample amount of information. And when it came to just writing the episode, it was really about what information to include. Now, this was different. So, okay, so just thinking about previous episodes, you know, MLK and Father Hesburg. I mean, these are famous men. The two games that we've covered, the 2012 Stanford game and the Game of the Century of Florida State, there are numerous written, written accounts on that. Even the Irish Terrier, Clashmore Mike. You know, I, I, do, I, I do a good amount of research for every episode, but research wasn't, it just wasn't as difficult because there just seemed to be a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more fruit on that tree, so to speak. But Emil Sitko, that was a different, it was a different beast. I put more time into researching this episode than I think I have for any previous episode. And I was diving pretty deep in the school magazine from the 40s, the football review of the 40s, um, you know, the, the newspapers. It was very difficult. And I was like, how could this possibly be? How could a football player who was so noteworthy and obviously a very good Notre Dame player when Notre, in a period when Notre Dame was the absolute best football team in the land. Not to give any spoilers, we'll talk about it here soon, but how is how could this player be so obscure? Like, there just wasn't a whole lot about him, you know, and so I was able to find some, and I was able to put together this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. But, and I really, I really think it's because Sitko was very quiet. He didn't, he didn't go for the spotlight, like maybe a lot of his teammates did, but you know, in my opinion, nothing beats a, a humble superstar. And this proved to be a trait that, that Sitko had in utter spades. So, without further ado, I give you the Fort Wayne Flash, the chronicles of Irish halfback Emil Sitko. Emil Sitko was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana on September 7th, 1923 to parents who hailed from Poland. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this man would accrue many nicknames, but he earned his first one, Red, as a young boy due to the patch of, you guessed it, red hair that grew atop his head. Now, he grew up in the northeast Indiana city, Fort Wayne, and while doing so, Sitko excelled in pretty much any sport he decided to pick up. Now, he was fairly short growing up, and he would not prove to be very tall even as a full-grown adult, but... What he lacked in height, he made up for in tenacity, strength, and quickness on the athletic fields. He attended the now-defunct Central High School in Fort Wayne. The high school, formerly known as simply Public High School, changed its name to Central High School the year before Sitko was born. And so Sitko was a member of the Central Tigers football, baseball, and track teams. Now, reportedly, he dominated the rival archers of Southside High School and the Redskins of Northside High School, as they were then known. He was so thoroughly dominant that he caught the eyes of famed Notre Dame football coach Frank Leahy, who, despite Sitko's short frame of 5'8", he rec recruited him anyways to play for the Irish, and that's exactly what he committed to do after graduating from high school in 1942. For Red... It was a dream come true, for he absolutely idolized the Irish growing up. Now, Sitko would not have been an unfamiliar name in the Irish ranks, 
His cousin, Steve Sitko, who also attended Central High School, actually started at quarterback for Notre Dame during the 1938 and 1939 seasons. Forgoing a career in football, Steve would actually play professional basketball with the Akron Goodyear Wingfoots of the National Basketball League. Red looked up to Steve, and this no doubt played a huge role in his Irish fandom. Now, Emil arrived on campus in the fall of 1942 and quickly made a name for himself as star halfback of the freshman football team. And he was called the Outstanding Frosh in the school yearbook in October of 1942. Now, keep in mind that freshmen were not allowed to play at the varsity level until the 1972 season, regardless of how good or how highly touted he was. So, alas, to address our trivia question earlier, it would have actually been impossible to lead the team in rushing for four years, simply because no one could play four years at the varsity level. But, as mentioned earlier, Emil received some help on this front. With World War II raging in Europe, Africa, and the Pacific, Emil joined the American Navy. While stationed, he joined the Great Lakes Navy football team, then known as the Blue Jackets. Now here is a fun callback to a previous episode. Back in the very first episode, a Heisman at Iwo Jima, we talked about how Irish quarterback Angelo Bertelli, three quarters of the way through his 1943 Heisman Trophy winning season, was called to serve in the Army, ultimately finding himself on the front lines at Iwo Jima, as the episode title would suggest. At a later point in the episode, we find out how Bertelli received news that the Irish team he had left mere weeks earlier had dropped their final game of the season to the Great Lakes Navy football team, 19-14. The Irish would finish that season 9-1. Can you guess who scored Great Lakes' first touchdown of the game? How about intercepting Irish quarterback Johnny Lujak's final Hail Mary pass of the game? You guessed it. Red Sitko. Though he turned in a star effort for his team, Sitko walked straight to Coach Leahy after the football game. The Irish's perfect season was dashed, and Sitko felt bad for his old coach and for his absolute favorite football team in the world. Sitko asked how Leahy was doing. Leahy replied that he had been better. My team lost today, Leahy said. Sitko paused for a moment before quietly replying, So did mine, coach. Sitko was discharged from the Army as a petty officer third class in 1946. Sitko wanted to keep playing ball. So according to one source, players who had completed just one year of college but then served in the Second World War would not lose their first year of eligibility, could return as a freshman, but would not have to compete on the freshman team. So how about that? So Sitko returned to Notre Dame in the fall of 1946 as a 23-year-old freshman. Sitko, who Coach Leahy would later say, Emil wasn't very big as far as football players go, even in those days. But he was the fastest starting back I ever coached. Was slotted to be the Irish's starting halfback. And you'd hope so. Oh, the successful freshman season in 1942 and three additional seasons playing in the Navy. In 1946, the Irish football team would go 8-0-1 and claim a national championship. He would carry the ball 54 times for a team-leading 346 yards. 
and catch an additional three passes for 55 yards. The Fort Wayne Flash, as the newspaper called him, averaged 6.4 yards per carry, added three touchdowns and two interceptions on defense. He was productive as ever, but took a definite backseat publicly, allowing teammate Johnny Lujak to bask in a lot of the fame. The 1947 edition of the Irish may have been one of the greatest teams in college history, running their record to 9-0 and and outscoring their opponents 291-52 to en route to another national championship. The 24-year-old Sitko, dubbed the Fort Wayne Flyer, yet another nickname bestowed upon him, had another fine season, leading the team again in rushing with 426 yards scoring four touchdowns and a 7.1 yard per rush average. Sitko again went quietly about his work, being the steady workhorse behind Lou Jack, who won the Heisman Trophy in 1947, and, and Leon Hart, who was named an All-American that season. Coach Leahy absolutely loved his Fort Wayne Flyer. According to an article written several years later by a news correspondent, he observed that Leahy was, quote, a stern disciplinarian if there ever was one. We would say if he had one favorite, it was Red Sitko. We remember watching practice once, probably in 1947. The varsity had scrimmaged long when Leahy called a halt and said in his own meticulous way, Emil, are you going home to Fort Wayne this weekend, Emil? This was Sunday afternoon before the start of the season. Red replied, Yes, coach, I am. And then Leahy said, Emil, Lad, you're excused for the day, and we will see you Monday. And with that, Red headed for the dressing room in Fort Wayne. The rest of the squad continued the scrimmage. Heading into the 1948 season, Red's junior season, the school newspaper wrote the following about him in his biography section of the Football Review. The, quote, Little Red Stick of Dynamite, add another moniker to his list, has sparked the Irish since 46. Comes from Fort Wayne, Indiana, won four football, two basketball, and three track letters while in high school, is an economics major, is not engaged but plans to marry Miss Dory Ann Liddy of Fort Wayne in the near future, likes to pitch horseshoes and is quite a fisherman, enjoys all winter sports, is an excellent bridge player, and classical music pleases him. Now, whether he was seeking an esteemed status playing football was no longer of consequence, for it found him. For a third straight season, Red led the Irish in rushing, gaining 729 yards on 129 carries, while scoring a career and team-high nine touchdowns. For his efforts, the 25-year-old was named a second-team All-American, and the Irish would finish the season 9-0-1, ranked second in the country. The 1949 Notre Dame squad, Red's senior season, was absolutely loaded. It was this year that Red received his most unique descriptor, the quote, pile driver with no neck. He played so physical that he would have approximately 10 jerseys ripped off in mid-game between his junior and senior seasons. If you don't believe me, consult YouTube. There are several videos of Red running the football, and you can get a really good sense of his running style here. He was very squat kept very low to the ground, definitely aided by his, his height or kind of lack thereof, but he was a, as powerful as, and as quick as it got. But anyways, powered by quarterback Bob Williams, Hart, and Sitko, the Irish rolled over their first nine opponents 
running their record to 9-0. They hadn't been challenged all season until the final game of the season against Southern Methodist University. With the score tied 20-20 late in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame took possession of the ball around midfield with less than 10 minutes to play. Red turned to Williams and said, quote, Okay, for a kid, you're a good quarterback, but you give me the ball until I tell you different. End quote. Red pounded out 30 tough yards on the next five carries, and eventually the Irish made it all the way down to the SMU three-yard line, having handed the ball to Red Sitko every single play. After that, Red turned to Williams one final time saying, quote, It's okay now, kid. Give it to someone else. End quote. Williams handed the next one to Leon Hart, and he scored the game-deciding touchdown. As writer Herb Juliana later said, quote, That was typical Sitko. He did all the work and then let someone else get the glory. The Irish would run their record to 10-0, claiming their third national championship in Red's tenure. From 1946 to 1949, Red's four seasons with the team, they never lost, notching a 36-0-2 record. The Fort Wayne Flash led the team in rushing once again, and he was named an All-American and finished 8th in the Heisman Trophy voting. Teammates Hart and Williams finished 1st and 5th in the vote, respectively. Sitko would end his Notre Dame career with 2,226 rushing yards. When he left South Bend, only one Irish player had rushed for more yards, George Gipp. To this day, he still ranks 13th in team history in the category. Given he averaged 6.1 yards per carry, still 9th best for a career in program history, he acquired perhaps his most famous nickname, Six Yards Sitko. He was actually drafted in the first round, 10th overall, to the Los Angeles Rams in 1946. But he just obviously decided to stay in school to finish his Notre Dame career. He would play professional football from 1950 to through 1952, accruing over 600 yards rushing, splitting time between the San Francisco 49ers and the Chicago Cardinals. After his playing career was over, he returned to Fort Wayne, Indiana where he was in the auto sales business. He would routinely officiate local high school games in the area and work specifically with Fort Wayne's CYO League as well. And as a shameless plug, I am an alumni of the Fort Wayne CYO League. Six Yard Sitko, easily one of the most unheralded Irish players and perhaps college football players in history, died suddenly of a heart attack on December 15, 1973 at the age of 50. Coincidentally, his Irish coach, Frank Leahy, had passed away a few months earlier at age 64. In an obituary from the Fort Wayne News Sentinel, writer Jim Costin gives an excellent appraisal of Sitko, saying, quote, Unlike most athletes of his caliber, Red never attempted to capitalize on his reputation. Some claimed that was a mistake. If that's so, then it's a mistake to be humble. A mistake not to be a so-called pop-off. A mistake to be yourself. We first met Red at South Bend when he was playing for the Irish. In recent years, we were fortunate enough to see him often and just shoot the breeze. I consider myself lucky to have known him. 
Not certainly, because he was one of the all-time college greats, as his records prove, but more because he was just plain red himself. He never attempted to be anything else. End quote. Admirers, such as myself actually very recently, can visit Six Yard to this day at his final resting place in the Catholic Cemetery in Fort Wayne, Indiana to pay their respects. We'll be right back. And as our final segment here, as promised, what are some of the pleasant surprises of the Irish in the 2019 football season here? So as it stands right now, to bring it back to the current day from uh, Mr. Sitko, the Irish stand 5-1, and one, and we our next game is against the University of Michigan. But so all these statistics and all this is, is current as of that. So obviously after we play Michigan, things are going to change up. But... I'm really excited for that game, by the way. I have five surprises here to the season. Pleasant surprises. Some are more pleasant than others. Some are a bigger surprise, I'd say, than others. But here we go. So number one pleasant surprise of the season is tight end Cole Komet. I was super high on Cole coming into the season. Really respected his athleticism. And he was on the Onward to Victory watch list, kind of our our list of candidates for breakout seasons that were kind of, you know, people who maybe not everybody was talking about. So he was on that list. So as it stands right now, he has 21 catches for 265 yards and three touchdowns. All of those marks rank second on the team and his 66.2 yards per game actually rank first on the team. So he has his 21 catches on only 25 targets, so an 84% catch rate. So for some context, in the NFL this year, that would actually, that 84% would rank ninth. So a lot of times when that ball's being thrown his way, he is absolutely bringing it in and hauling it in for a reception, and he has been a godsend. Now, he missed uh, the first two games of the season, which makes his numbers all the more impressive. So uh, in just... Uh, four games he's been able to accumulate these numbers and he is actually on pace for one of the finest seasons for a Notre Dame tight end that we have seen in a while so you know just for some context last year uh, Alizé Mack had 36 catches for 360 yards uh, the year before 2016 Durham Smythe his finest season was 15 catches for 244 yards and generally the Notre Dame tight ends are having good seasons if they're in that 30 to 40 catch range. Eifert back in 2012 had 50 catches, but he was definitely a different kind of uh, species. But uh, he is really, really re-solidifying that, that reputation that Notre Dame had for many years of just churning out quality tight ends. That is Cole Komet, and it has been awesome to see him. And he is he plays all phases of the game exceedingly well. So, number one. Cole Komet, no surprise there, right? But number two is the red zone offense. Now, we are first in the nation in red zone scoring percentage, tied with Iowa and LSU as the only two other teams in the country that have 100%. 
scoring uh, uh, red zone scoring percentages. So we are 22 of 22. Even more impressively, of those 22 trips, 19 have resulted in touchdowns, three in field goals. So it's been uh, one of those things all season. I know people point out the struggles of Notre Dame this season, but one thing that we have not struggled in, if we get the ball inside the 20, we're going to come away with some points, and that's a huge lift. All right, so again, number two is our red zone offense. Number three, got to give some love to a specialist here, Jonathan Doerr, kicker Jonathan Doerr. He is six of seven for field goals, 27 for 27 in extra points. But that game six against USC, where he kicked three field goals, 45 52, and then 43 yards, that is a signature performance. That's almost a career day if you're a kicker because we needed every single one of those points. And some of those were, gosh, it's so much more difficult to kick field goals in the college game. You're kicking halfway across the field. And I could be wrong. Maybe my memory is getting cloudy here, but I don't think he was in the center of the field for any one of those three kicks. I feel like he was on the hash. I know some guys prefer to kick from the hash, I wasn't a kicker. I can't hardly kick, but I can't imagine me preferring to kick from the hash. But but he did a fantastic job. And in addition to that, of his 40 kickoffs, 22 of them have been touchbacks. So more often than not, he's putting the ball, you know, where it can't be returned. And, you know, that's that's got to be taken away as a positive. So number three is kicker Jonathan Doerr. Number four is something that I am on record saying I had little to no confidence in going into the season. So I'll tell you how the crow tastes here in just a second, but that is the linebacker linebacker core. But yeah, no, honestly, the crow tastes really good because it's been really nice watching this group grow. So between the trio of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who has 37 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, and a sack, uh, which is good for second on the team, uh, Asmar Bilal has 35 tackles and five tackles for a loss. And Drew White has 29 tackles, seven tackles for a loss, and a sack. Uh, they are really extremely criminally underrated in what has really quietly become a really good defense yet again, despite losing Jerry Tillery up the middle or Tavon Coney up the middle or Drew Tranquil. These guys have stepped in. And like I said, our defense is quietly really good. Uh, maybe not so quiet. I mean, we haven't allowed a 30-point score, uh, an opponent to score 30 points in a regular season game. And I mean, it's been almost two full seasons. That's not counting Clemson because that was a playoff game. But we have the 13th ranked scoring defense. And we are second in turnover margin in the entire country at plus 10. Our defense in itself is seventh with in turnovers with 14. But the second turnover margin at plus 10, this is really, really important. And Ian Book, not to switch sides of the ball here, but Ian Book has taken a bath of criticism. And some of it merited. Some of it honestly is not. But the one thing that you cannot knock Ian Book for is that he is at least very careful with the football. He's not losing fumbles. He's not He's not throwing interceptions. He's at least very careful with the football. And so that's led to what is now the second best turnover margin. That, and of course, our defense, our defense's propensity for turnovers to a plus 10 margin. And though not as eye-popping of a stat, they are getting off the field on third down fairly well. They're 38th in the country in third down percentage. So 
you know, turning the ball over, uh, getting turnovers, I should say, pardon me, as well as getting off the field on third down uh, has been has been kind of the hallmark of, of the defense. So number four is the linebacker core. And just to stay on that side of the ball, Kyle Hamilton, the freshman phenom. Um, another one that a lot of people, myself included, were pretty high on heading into the season. So Kyle Hamilton, as it stands right now, 21 tackles, two interceptions, of course returned one of those interceptions for a touchdown against New Mexico, and a pass broken up. Uh, that was probably one of the biggest reasons why Notre Dame ended up winning that game against USC, among many other reasons, is that they were able to mix up coverages really effectively. First of all, that kid, that freshman, uh, true freshman quarterback at USC is going to be really good. But I think uh, we were able to kind of get the game out of reach, and yeah, they, they mounted a pretty dramatic comeback there at the end, but that was because, you know, the defensive game plan was was outstanding. It, it truly was, and part of that was mixing up coverages, giving uh, the true freshmen different looks, but a guy like Kyle Hamilton is so athletic, you know, he you saw him line up in a deep cover two, a deep cover three, flirt around the line of scrimmage. He can play anywhere, and he is fun to watch, so... Number five is Kyle Hamilton, six foot four, I believe, two hundred and ten pounds. Great size for a, someone in the defensive secondary. So just as a quick review, number one, number one, pleasant surprises of 2019. We're halfway through. Number one, Cole Komet. Number two, our red zone offense. Number three, Jonathan Doerr, the kicker. Number four is the linebacker core, and number five is Kyle Hamilton. Do you do? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Feel free to uh, let me know. So that'll actually bring us to the very end of the episode. I really hope you enjoyed learning about Six Yard Sitco, and I, I hope maybe um, you'll you know, learn some new things. Uh, I don't really typically choose topics because I'm an expert on them. I'll choose a topic that I really want to learn more about. And even if there are, even if I do possess a lot of con contextual information about them, I'm always trying to find kind of new bits of information. And for Emil Sitko, his statistics, his nickname, Sit Six Yard kind of preceded him. But it was really fun kind of, you know, reading between the lines, really doing a lot of digging in some really old sources. Um, you know, when you're on Google and you're on page like 17 of search results and you find like one usable sentence or one usable quote, that's enough to get you really excited. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please, if you feel so compelled, like and share this episode, comment on it. Tell me what you think. And again, if you feel doubly compelled and you'd like to join our ranks as a consensus All-American like Adam recently has, um, please feel free to go to, oh, excuse me. Please feel free to go to paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. You can support the show monetarily from either of those. And again, if you do, you're going to be put into a drawing to win a signed onward to victory postcard, an autographed postcard by Hunter Smith, who was a punter for Notre Dame in the 90s for Lou Holtz and against, had a pretty long and illustrious career as a punter um, in the National Football League, mostly with the Indianapolis Colts. So I can't thank you all enough. I really can't, especially if you've lasted this long into the episode. This is one of our longer ones. We're coming in at maybe about 41, 42 minutes or so. But um, as always, please interact with the show any way you'd like. 
If you feel so compelled, donate to the show. Keep the lights on. Uh, allow me to keep doing this. But thank you for joining me, and, and thank you for making this really special. And hopefully, as I mentioned, you're enjoying it. But anyways, this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, episode 9, the Jalen Smith episode in the books, and I am your host, Alex Painter, and as always, go Irish, beat Michigan.